Hello guys and welcome back to another week of the Playsheet podcast. I'm here with my mate Joe. Hey there guys. And we're here to take you through another week of exciting NFL football and analysis and tee you up for our thoughts on the games ahead. So we, um, we didn't have a Thursday game this week. It was supposed to be the Chiefs against the Bills. The Bills had to play a delayed game the week prior. So their week five game was on a Tuesday, which is quite rare for the league to have a Tuesday game. So we had the Bills playing the Titans last Tuesday. It meant they couldn't play on the Thursday night, so that was pushed forward to Monday just gone. So no football on the Thursday. So straight into the Sunday games. And so we'll start off with the Bears and the Panthers. I called it, Joe. I backed the Bears. I believed in their defence. And honestly, I think it, it was that again. I know the score. It was 23-16 to the Bears. But once again, it was the defence that won it. I mean, Foles was not special in any sense of the word. Absolutely. He threw for 198 yards, got one touchdown and an interception. Very average. It's the defence. That's what's keeping the Bears alive at this stage. And the Foles performance wasn't even like a game management performance because sometimes you can have a stat line like that. And the stat line doesn't look all that much. But you ran the game, you did what you had to do, you got the third downs when you had to get the third downs. And I mean, an example of this when we get onto this will be Roethlisberger this week. His stat line wasn't great, but he managed the game. It wasn't even like Foles was really managing this. The Bears never really looked comfortable and the Panthers were in the game right up to the last moment. Like you say, the D carried that team. And look, I still think they're a pretender team. They're 5-1, and one, and I think that's a very flattering stat line for them at this stage in the season. They will lose games. You can't have a D carry you so much all through the season. And unless they make some changes on the other side of the ball, they'll just creep into a kind of wildcard place, in my view, at the moment. Yeah, I think I agree with that. You know, they say that defence wins championships, and defence is such an important component of the game. But you have to have something on offence, because otherwise you're going to come up against teams that are good at both and you're going to fall down because you're only good at one. 100%, 100%. I agree with everything there. You can get away with being average on that side of the ball. You can get away with just doing what you have to do, letting the D make the big plays, and then just you know getting over the hump with the rest of it. I'd still say that on the offensive side of the ball, they are less than average. They'll get found out by you know better teams. I think one of the things that speaks quite highly of the defense, though, is we spoke about Davis the week before and how well he'd stepped into that McCaffrey role and they managed to hold him to 52 yards on 18 carries uh, in this game which was pretty impressive. Really bowled him up you know kept him at less than 3.5 yards per attempt. What can you say really it's really clear what the Spurs team are all about. Foles uh, I don't think is the answer there. It seems that the Trubisky experiment is finished. They'll get into the playoffs They'll have a small little playoff run. I don't think they will win any games because they'll have a low seeding and they'll come against a decent side. And they'll have to work out what we're going to do on the other side of the ball come the offseason. Yeah. Let's move on then to a very exciting game with the Bengals and the Colts. That nearly went certainly not the way that many people saw it going. Yeah. And I mean, you've been kind of on Rivers back for the last few weeks. I know that you're not his biggest fan, but I think that the way that he played, he kind of dragged them through that game and a lot of that W was on the shoulders of Philip Rivers. No, I'd agree with that. That is the thing that you get with Rivers. I think he tries to do it all. Sometimes he succeeds and normally against lesser teams. Other times he tries to do it all and he tries too much and he forces it and he puts his team in bad situations. But this was certainly one that they owe a lot of that win to him. As I said many times before, he is a gunslinger. 
when it goes well, it comes off. He's the hero. When it doesn't come off, you know, the Spanish Inquisition is out. There's a few things to say about this, though. For the Colts, who, you know, have been a good D up to this point to ship 27 points against this Bengals team and to get in a position where they could have lost the game, you know, it's good they came out with a win, but I think it raises perhaps more questions than it answered. The one thing I would say, though, is Darius Leonard was sidelined for this game and whether the Bengals were aware that this was going to be the case or not, but they ran the ball down Indianapolis's throat. And Yeah, all of their scores came from the ground. Burrow ended with a stat line of zero pass TDs, one interception. They ran that ball, they ran it down their throat. I don't think you can just put that on Leonard, though. I take your point, but I mean, if the Colts kind of run the falls apart from one player, everyone gets injured at some point. So you need more than that. I don't think it was just that. I think that the Bengals just game planned well. They knew where to attack. They played the right plays. But it's like I said, it's shown perhaps a bit of a blueprint there for finding the kind of softer underbelly of this Colts D. Yeah, although I think they're quite hopeful that he'll be back after their bye week next week. So it'll be interesting to see if when he is back, that does make a difference or whether there's still a bit of a vulnerability there. Yeah, but look, the Colts are four and two now. They're one and a half games behind the Titans. You know, the Titans are looking brilliant. They're one of the success stories of this season. But I mean, you know, the Colts have still got to play the Titans again this year. They are the only other side in the AFC South that's got any chance of winning the division. So it'll be interesting to see where they kick on from here. I'd be interested to get your view on AJ Green because I know you've got very mixed feelings about him. He did have quite a good game this week. But the one thing that I would say is T Higgins had arguably an even bigger game. And when you're looking at players that are demanding trades and putting people's noses out of joint, do they really need to hang on to him when they've got someone like Higgins, eight receptions, 125 yards? Well, that whole wide receiver room really for the Bengals, aside from T Higgins, is rotten right now. Now, T Higgins is a rookie who's coming in. He's trying his best. But aside from AJ Green being caught on the cameras saying he wanted out last week, John Ross III has asked for a trade out of Cincinnati. I mean, the cheek of that one, though. John Ross, who do you think you are? Look, John Ross was a Combine Day hero with one of the fastest 40 times that the Combine has ever seen. I mean, that man is a sprinter, and the Bengals have never, ever made use of it. When he first came, nearly everyone drafted him as a late flyer because they thought that he would blow the top of some defences. That's definitely underutilised. You've got a lot of players there who won out. And yeah, it's fine to get, you know, picks here and there. But you can only let so many players go before you really are through to the scraps. So the Bengals are going to have to trade away a wide receiver. Who that's going to be, though, will be interesting. I think the fact that John Ross has actually officially asked for a trade probably puts him in the driving seat to get out of that team. But, you know, you will get a little bit more for AJ Green. Packers probably would be one of the best homes for AJ Green. It makes sense. And I think that they could probably get him at quite a low price given his attitude and his production at this stage. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, I didn't consider that, but that would be the perfect landing spot for him. And do you think that that is something that Burrow takes personally or or that he gets that into his head at all? Or do you think he just blocks out that noise? No, I don't think you can put this on Burrow at all in any way. It's not like Burrow's calling the plays. Burrow isn't playing like a top 10 quarterback. You wouldn't expect him to. He's a rookie. He's a rookie who's been put straight in. He's playing well, though. He's connecting with enough of his passes. It's not like he's embarrassed himself. If you're a veteran player and you're trying to blame this on Joe Burrow, well, shame on you, really. If you get yourself open more, then maybe he'll connect with you more. 
No, I don't think Burrow would be taking this personally. I don't think he would at all. I think it's just more on the Bengals' organisation and the place that he finds himself in. And he'll have people around him who'd be telling him that if he did ever think different. Okay then. So let's jump from there into the Lions at Jaguars. Another one I called, Joe. I bat the Lions, baby. They finally beat their fourth quarter jitters. Yeah, the Lions put together a strong game for four quarters. Remember when the Jaguars were like 1-0 and for the first game and everyone thought, hey, maybe they're not as bad as we thought they were? They're 1-5 now. They even had me doubting them. Like I backed them to be losers. And after a couple of weeks, I was going, well, yeah, okay, they won the first game. They narrowly lost the second game yeah, to you yeah. know, difficult competition. They had me going, have I called this wrong? And in fairness, you said, look, I don't think you have. I think they're still a bad team and they're they're proving it now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That kind of steam has kind of run out there. The kind of enthusiasm around a moustache and all that kind of stuff. It's just gone. It's very flat. They're not really playing for much. They don't suck as bad as the Jets or the Giants do. So they're in that kind of, you know, probably between 5th and 10th pick when it comes to the draft next year. It's just a terrible spot to be, really. You're probably not going to get an elite quarterback of that kind of level. There's not much to look forward to. They have got a couple of additional picks that they've got from trading away players. There is that. But I mean, look, the Jags look a pretty flat team, really. There's a lack of talent across the board. There's a few things I wanted to say about that game. One is DJ Chark was back, and I think the Jags were sort of counting on that to propel them a little bit in the offense, and that never materialized. But one thing that they did miss was AJ Can to an injury early in the contest. And it felt like once Can was out, the blocking just wasn't there for Minshew. And he came under pressure quite a bit after he went out. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, uh, Stafford wasn't sacked once. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing, right? So something that we haven't seen from the Lions up until this point is them handing over to Swift. It's been a long time coming before the Lions have actually given Swift, you know, the number of carries that he received this game. Yeah. And he turned those 14 carries into 116 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, he really came good. I mean, Swift let himself down in game one. Lions would have won game one had Swift made that catch and not dropped it in the end zone. So I think Swift put a big black mark against his name kind of game one. We've finally just let him out of the doghouse now. And, you know, he had a great game. Interesting little thing from the Lions as well during this game. They had four touchdowns. First touchdown they scored, one yard rush. Second touchdown they scored, one yard rush. Third touchdown they scored, one yard pass. And then the fourth one was a uh, (laughs) six yard run. So all the touchdowns were coming from very, very close range. Yeah, good point. I think the takeaway from this match is that neither team are tremendous, but I think that the Jaguars are suddenly being shown to be the team that we all thought they would be at the beginning of the season. And I think that the Lions potentially need to turn to the run game a little bit more. But obviously, it was very fortunate for them that they were in a scenario where they could do that this time around. They're often not in a scenario where they can rely on the run game. Exactly. And look, the Lions beating this poor Jaguars team, it's not going to change my opinion on the Lions right now. Beat someone in your division, maybe. Matt Patricia is definitely on the hot seat and the Lions are going to have to end up with more than five or six wins to kind of call that. He's someone who is with limited time to turn things around. This next game, it it feels a bit like stag do's, Joe. You know, when whoever goes first, you just don't know how hard to go. 
and we're going to talk about the Falcons and the Vikings, but I know Green Bay's coming up. So why don't you kick us off for this one? I'm just going to go hard in this. The Vikings were garbage they were absolutely garbage and i know as a fan you always watch your team and you see the worst but this was really bad kirk cousins three first half interceptions and i mean these weren't interceptions where you can blame like a wide receiver for fluffing the ball and you know dropping a pass and dropping it into a cornerback's hands these were just thrown into quadruple coverage and thinking you're going to thread the ball through doing stupid things there was one where his arm was hit as he went to throw, so you can maybe half not blame it on him. But Cousins was abysmal, the line was once again abysmal, and the Vikings cornerbacks, I don't really know what they were expecting, whether they really thought that Gladney and Dantzler could come in and just start, but every single game they're getting more and more exposed out there, and there's a first and a third round pick there, and those guys are just having their confidence absolutely ruined right now. It comes to something when you get beaten 40-23 and that scoreline is a bit flattering because you had some garbage time touchdowns. Yeah, actually, it's really interesting when you look at the first half performance to the second half performance. Cousins in particular, going into the first half, he was 8 of 14 for 102 yards and three interceptions. But he ended up going 24 of 36 for 343 yards with three touchdowns. And the majority of that was earned in garbage time, as you said. Yeah, and the only kind of bright spot there for the Vikings and, and one of the small bright spots on the season is Justin Jefferson. Had another huge game. I think that's his third game now where he's gone over 100 yards. Jefferson right now has 537 yards through six games. It's 89.5 yards a game, three touchdowns. Almost an identical stat line to Stefan Diggs, who he replaced, who has 555 yards through six games which is 92.5 yards a game, and he also has three touchdowns. So Jefferson has basically stepped in and is playing exactly how Diggs is. Diggs, though, is a bona fide wide receiver one at the Bills. So to be putting that out in your rookie year, where Phelan is also getting a lot of the ball as well, that's good. It's one small spot of positivity for a Vikings fan. But I mean, overall, with the disarray Falcons are in, coming into that game 0-5, caretaker boss with Romeo Crennel in there, and you go and do that. It was just atrocious. There's not really much more that I can really say about that. You can kind of pile in as much as you want. <laughs> well, I'll say a few things. So the funny thing is, outside of Jefferson, no Viking tallied more than 55 receiving yards. So he was the only guy out there. It was Phelan who got 55, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah 55 it was. and a TD, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think the Vikings did do well is they stopped the run quite well they didn't allow the Falcons to have much of a running game now you could argue like you argued in game week one against the Packers that actually it wasn't so much that they stopped the run but more that they were succeeding so much through the air the Falcons didn't need to turn to the run that often I think for me the game went in half part how I thought it would do I've backed Julio Jones to have a big game I thought he caused trouble for the corners what I didn't expect was the shocking performance from Cousins, to be honest. But I think... You kind of mentioned it there, and I stand by it, but I think that the reason that the run game didn't really exist for the Falcons was because the pass game was just too easy. Matt Ryan, he had a day after Deshaun Watson, he had the best passer rating in the league in game week six. Passer rating of 136.6, which is extremely high. Completing on 75% of his passes, which again is ridiculously high. 
And one stat that I like to bring into things to kind of indicate kind of how bad the defense was, again, is the aggression rating. The aggression rating, which is either thrown to a receiver who was covered by a defender within a yard or thrown in incompletion, was only 10%. Now, bearing in mind that he threw a couple of incompletions where he just threw the ball away, most of the time when he was thrown to his receivers, they were wide open. It was too easy. And I think that everything there is personified in a play, I think it was somewhat sometime in the third quarter, where the Falcons were trying to convert on fourth down. On the edge, you had Julio Jones. The cornerback didn't know what to do, whether to run towards Matt Ryan or cover Julio Jones. So he just fell over. Ryan did a little dink pass over him. Julio took it to the house. And that was where it turned from a competitive game into being just a car crash. Matt Ryan had a very, very easy day against the Vikings secondary. And there's not really much that they can change there. They've got rookies. They don't have any salary cap. You can have the best will in the world with a couple of safeties like Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. But they can't do everything. They can't be everywhere. No, absolutely not. Let's move on. I don't, I don't want to talk about the Vikings anymore. <laughs> Let's move on to the battle of Timmy versus Jimmy in Washington and New York. <laughs> oh, we knew that this game was going to be pretty low quality, didn't we? We knew that it wasn't going to be very good. <laughs> yeah, we, we both said we thought it was going to be quite low scoring. I had it by field goal. I think you had it by seven or ten. It turned out to be everything we thought it did, except for the direction in which the victory went. Yeah, it was definitely one to bet the under, though. But, I mean, look, Riverboat Ron, should he have taken that point at the end of it? It felt a little bit reckless to go for two points when, you know, you've been behind for most of the game, just tie the game up and take it to overtime. It felt a bit reckless. I know you're Riverboat Ron, so you kind of got to do these things. But, hey, you just got beaten by the New York Giants, which is the only thing more embarrassing than getting beaten by the Falcons. Yeah, I mean, the only reason why I would potentially argue against that is Kyle Allen had the most horrific game. What are they doing with Kyle Allen? What are they doing with him? I don't know. I really don't understand. But when your quarterback is playing that well, do you want it to go to overtime? Uh, Yeah, but I mean, like, look, they started him last week, and then I don't care what they say, they pulled him. He was cleared to come back out, but they left Alex Smith back out there. So they basically pulled him after a half last week. They go and start him again, and... Riviera might like Carl Allen. He's someone who's worked with whatever. But you've got Dwayne Haskins who has upside. You're going to trade him away. Why don't you just kind of, you know, you clearly don't really want to win games that much else you would have taken the point after and then taken it to overtime if you really want to win games that much. But I don't think he thought they could win it in overtime. You're playing the New York Giants, man. Yeah, but the New York Giants were beating them. Kyle Allen was playing so badly. I, you can't back him to win at you in overtime. But then you can't back him to convert a two-pointer. Well, yeah. They went with a pass play. It wasn't like they tried to run it in from two yards. They trusted Kyle Allen to throw the ball from two yards out. I think for me, that was a surprising thing. I don't necessarily think going for the two-point conversion was the wrong call because I don't think... They could have won it in overtime. But if you do have that moment where you need to roll the dice and succeed, don't give it to the guy who has done nothing all game except get sacked and fumble or throw interceptions. Just don't do it. Yeah. Let's move on because aside from that, it was a a pretty ugly game with not a lot to say. Ravens-Eagles next game. What do you think about this one? 
I think the final scoreline is quite deceptive of how the game actually went down. Agree. When you're looking at the leads that the Ravens had, 17 to nothing, 24 to 6, 30 to 14, they were all over the Eagles. But in fairness, they came back, they fought hard and they didn't give up. And so they took it to 30-28. What really let the Ravens down was the penalties. Oh my goodness. So many penalties. Honestly, it felt like it was raining yellow flags. I couldn't see for the flags on the play. It was almost embarrassing at times just how many penalties they were giving away. Every single snap, there were just flags out there. The one thing that I found really interesting was in the first 20 minutes of the game, Philadelphia had minus seven yards. Yeah, and there's a big backlash against Carson Wentz right now in a lot of the kind of Philly fan forums. It's not all on his shoulders by any means. Yeah, you can't blame him. His line hate him for some reason. I don't know why, but Wentz is not looking like the player who they thought they had a couple of years ago. His body language is terrible. The way he's just lying on the field after plays, staying down, the looks on his face. He's not playing like a leader and he's not playing like a player who's going to turn his team around. Yeah. And just finally, before we move on, I'm going to continue my petition for this because it winds me up immensely. Mark Ingram leaves the game early because of an injury. Gus Edwards takes over. He gets given 14 carries and he turns those attempts into 26 rushing yards. J.K. Dobbins, Dobbins, on the other hand, much more productive with fewer opportunities. Give the man the goddamn ball, Joe. I'm starting to make this a kind of conspiracy theory. This is going to be my tin hat thing. I think the Ravens are purposely keeping Dobbins under wraps and they're going to unleash him in the playoffs. I think that's the only thing that it can be. I think he's almost their secret weapon. The Ravens haven't had that little extra bump to get them over playoff games in the last two years. Dobbins is going to be their secret weapon who they're going to unveil and give 20 touches in the playoff games. That is my tin hat conspiracy theory. Do you know what? I'd be really excited to see that happen. I think that would make for such an exciting playoff reveal. Yeah, it's just going to be like, you know, WWE, Dobbins Music will start and, you know, glass <laughs> Oh smashes. my God. Yeah, yeah. My God, Joe, <laughs> it's J.K. Dobbins entrance music. Yeah, yeah. Like, seriously, right? Because he is so efficient with what he's doing. He's outpacing all the banks that the Ravens have in terms of yards per carry. He's looking solid, no risk of fumble, anything like that. So why aren't they using him? Why aren't they playing him? I think they're saving him. And he's going to be a secret weapon that are going to roll out. I'll keep my fingers crossed for it. I think that would be a hell of an exciting thing to witness in the playoffs. The thing is, by the time the playoffs come around, though, that's past fantasy, so it's not going to save your fantasy season at all. Oh, well, look, Dobbins doesn't make my top list anyway. You know the running backs I've got, Joe. Come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Let's move on to a game I got very wrong. Browns at the Steelers. Talk to me about that one. Steelers are really starting to slip into looking like the real deal right now. There are a lot of good teams in the AFC. I think the AFC is stacked across, you know, it's top five or six teams. Steelers are looking like a very good team in that conference and they'll certainly be up there towards the end of the season. I mean, this wasn't a game where they had to rely on Roethlisberger, like we said earlier on. By his standards over the first six games, he had quite a quiet game, but he managed the game well. James Connor stepped up, over 100 yards rushing, looked very solid. Players like Chase Claypool were still there when they wanted a big play, when they called on him, still doing what he's been doing, absolutely balling. 
And what I liked about this game is they didn't take their foot off the gas. You've got the history of the Browns and Steelers. There's all that there. So if there was a game where they were going to do that, it was probably this one. But I mean, boy, did they. They just didn't let the Browns get into this at all. Baker Mayfield converted one out of 12 third downs, zero for three attempts on fourth downs. He was sacked four times for 20 yards, 10 of 18 attempts, 119 yards passing for one TD and two interceptions. What we saw here, I think, is something that happens with Stefanski offenses. When they play teams who remember the old ways, who understand the running game, the two tight end sets, who aren't kind of phased by it, who have cornerbacks who can play man and one safety who can just go over the top, then that Stefanski offense suddenly becomes very beatable and unravels very quickly. It happened to the Vikings last year, games one and three, when they played the Packers and the Bears. Both those sides kind of saw it for what it was and just made the offense look less than pedestrian. And that happened again this week. You know, the Browns will beat teams, but a Steelers team like this, it was just one-way traffic. It was brutal, and the Steelers are looking a real deal. A couple of things that I want to touch on. You mentioned Connor and his big game. The thing that stood out as being particularly impressive for me with regards to that was the fact that the Steelers were missing two starting offensive linemen, and Connor still had a game. That's really impressive. Yep. Because he relies on those linemen to get him the blocks for the running routes and he was still bulldozing through everyone. So I thought that was fantastic. Mayfield, I'm nervous that people are going to say, well, this was the injury. He wasn't playing well because of his rib. We thought he wasn't going to be 100% going into this. Don't kid me. We've seen Baker Mayfield play for years now. This is not a rib injury issue. This is who Baker Mayfield is. Yeah, and, you know, interestingly, in terms of time to hold the air ball, the Browns line were giving Mayfield a lot of time. It wasn't like he was being rushed by as much as the kind of commentators and the narrative wants to make you think. The Steelers sacked him four times, but he was averaging three and a half seconds nearly on the ball. So he had plenty of time there. A lot of this falls on Mayfield's shoulders. The only bad news for the Steelers from this one is the Devin injury Bush. to Devin Bush. Yeah, and the, there's a fear there that's an ACL tear, which will really impact them, I feel. Yeah, that's probably Bush gone for the season. I think it is Bush gone for the season. I think whatever he's done to the ACL, whether it's a severe sprain, a tear, whatever, he's done. And I mean, he is a pivotal part of that team's D. The only thing to offset that is they are stacked. There's a lot of players who are stepping up and making plays. Yeah. They seem to still be playing pretty well the second half of a game. It's going to hurt them, but it's not enough to derail them. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So let's see how that one pans out. Well, Texans and Titans, that was a game to watch. One to bet the over, that's for sure. I certainly didn't see it going that way, to be honest. I really did not think that the Texans would put up that much of a fight. (sighs) No, no. But I mean, look... This has been the Texans kind of all season. They're capable of scoring. Deshaun Watson will do his best to keep them in the game. Deshaun Watson, by the way, I think I mentioned this earlier on, was the highest rated quarterback last week. Had a passer rating, I think, of like 138, something like that, something ridiculous. Deshaun Watson will keep the Texans in the game for as long as he can. He'll do what he can do. But it's just, there's so many flaws with this Texans team that the opposition will always find a way to beat them. Whether that's just taking advantage of every ridiculously soft run defense which you know it's absolute bread and butter to a play like Derrick Henry whether it's something like that or 
you know, just for weaknesses that they have on O, where receivers are letting Watson down, where the protection is falling apart for him. There's just so many ways to get on top of this Texans team. They've got an extremely, extremely talented quarterback, but it's just not enough. They'll look competitive in games like this. They'll put up scores, but it just won't be enough. And that's going to be the story of their season. The one thing I will say is that it nearly was. And the thing that I found absolutely hilarious is, I don't know if you saw the coin toss, but when the Texans lost the coin toss, Watson swore like he knew it was over. (laughs) And honestly, I think if the Texans had won the coin toss, they might have won that game. They could have. Watson was scoring. In fact, actually, all of Watson's touchdowns went to different players. You know, he wasn't reliant on anyone. He was just making it happen himself. But the moment they lost that, he knew that Derek Henry was just going to ram that ball down their throats and finish the game off. Yeah, and I think that, you know, because the Texans sit at 1-5, and five, Watson isn't getting the credit that he should get. I mean, when Russell Wilson threw five passing touchdowns to five players I think in week three, Everyone knew about it, and it was a narrative. Everyone talked about how Wilson's a MVP candidate and all that kind of stuff. Watson is very unfortunate with the situation that he's in with the Texans looking so bad this year, but Watson is absolutely balling, and he is still playing like a top-five quarterback. So Henry, true to form, he's often a very slow start to the season, but as we get closer and closer to playoffs, He sort of steps into his own a bit. He had fantastic numbers, but obviously we're talking the Texans here who we know have issues against the run. Texans have had issues against the run, but I just want to go back on something you just said there, mate. You said he's had a slow start. Do you know how many carries he's tracking for after week six? No, no idea. If you extrapolate his carries, he's on track for 393 carries this season, 316 games. Wow. Uh, when I think he had 303 last year. And, and I mean, 303 is a lot of carries. 393 is just off the chain. It's off the chain. And that's what he's on track for. So, you know, he does accelerate normally towards the end of the season. It's, it's normally like, you know, kind of game weeks 10 to 16, where he's really starting to look the business. Well, if he accelerates, you know, we could be on for a rusher here with over 400 touches. I'm not saying it will happen. He's got to stay healthy. And there's a lot more, uh, you know, football to go and get played but he is on track for a monster season in the number of touches well that's what I was just about to say actually that you know you need to manage that to a certain extent because if they just treat him like he's invincible you might lose him before you get to the playoffs it's they're gonna have to really monitor that there's nothing behind him as well which is the concern really like this Titans team kind of rises and falls on Derek Henry Derek Henry goes who is the backup running back there? I couldn't even tell you, honestly. I Because it's not like they're getting many touches. Jeremy McNichols? Never heard of him. Who are you? <laughs> he had five attempts for 51 yards against the Texans. So, you know, he was averaging over 10 yards a carry. But again, it's for Texans. Jeremy McNichols is probably the backup running back there. So, no offense to Jeremy McNichols, but with what Derrick Henry does for this team. If he goes down, Titans, I think, go down because they do have a bit of a tendency to give up points. They've given up a lot of points this year. And as we saw, they allowed Houston to kind of come into that game kind of too much. Let's keep an eye on Henry. Let's see if he does track towards 393 carries. Let's see if he gets there or whether they try to manage him a little bit better. 
So next one, a field goal extravaganza, Broncos against the Patriots. Oh, that was so ugly to watch. That was so horrible. Talk about a rusty performance from the Patriots. Well, yes, but here's the thing that I really want to point out, and I really want people to be aware of this, because I think anyone who isn't aware of the context is going to look at this game and put it down to, I don't know, good Broncos play, bad Patriots play, whatever. Going into this game, they were hit so heavy with those COVID-19 tests and the people that were affected by them. So they'd initially lost backup centre James Fuentes, who was already starting for the injured David Andrews. Then it was reported on Saturday afternoon that Shaq Mason would miss the game. So the Patriots are already down three starting offensive linemen and then lost a fourth blocker when Jermaine Elumina suffered an injury very early in the competition. So, yeah, they've got four blockers which they're missing. Cam Newton had a terrible, terrible time because nobody was blocking for them. Uh, Yeah, so the Patriots were massively depleted out there. You know, it allowed the Broncos to get to Cam Newton. But still, there's so much rustiness there. There was so much rustiness. There were things that Cam Newton was doing in terms of holding on to the ball, in terms of not seeing gaps, in terms of missing receivers, that it looked like a team who hadn't played football for a couple of weeks. But look, Broncos won. They took their chances, and their chances were just field goals. Brian McManus had a day. You know, mate, I watched the highlights of this. This was a pretty boring game. There's not too many redeeming features for it. No, I was annoyed as well because I was quite looking forward to seeing how Damian Harris would perform because obviously he had uh, an outstanding time last time round, and I wanted to see if it was a one-hit wonder or if there was anything behind that. Sony Michelle was out. There was an opportunity there for us to see whether he could develop into something more, but we just never got a chance to see Patriots run game. They were just never in the position to show it off. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to a more exciting game. Next game, <laughs> more exciting game, Jets, Jets, Dolphins. <laughs> the first NFL team this season to score zero points. If you were putting money down on it, Joe, I think we'd both be rich men by now, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you would have put your money on the Jets. You would have put your money on the Jets. You're upsetting all the other rubbish teams because all the other rubbish teams have no chance of getting the first pick because the Jets are just that bad. Jeez, man, 24-0. I think... You know, we can talk about the game and there's a few things to be said about it. But the bigger story is about Brian Flores changing quarterbacks. Honestly, I don't understand it, Joe. Talk us through it. But why on earth would you pull Fitzpatrick? Because obviously they were off to the races, right? The Dolphins were having a field day. Tua came on last few minutes of the game. Give him a little run out. Give him a taste of NFL football. Yeah, sure, 100% completion rate for Tua. He got two of two. But you're going to put him out after his bye week against the Rams? Why? When Fitzpatrick's doing a brilliant job. What is the thinking behind that? Yeah, so I have been saying since the preseason that it would probably be around week five or six when Tua gets pulled out there. But in the quiet words of Switch from the Matrix, none like this I didn't think it was going to be like this and Brian Flores has done an absolute cipher here and unplugged Fitzpatrick from the Matrix this is the first time in quite a few years that the Dolphins have actually been in with a shot of the uh, AFC East the Patriots stand at 3-3 three three. the Bills are at 4-2 and two, but they're on the slide 
The Dolphins are three and three. The Dolphins are three and three. They're one game behind the Bills. You're in with a shot here. You're actually playing well for once. And now you're going to just upend your whole team and bring in Tua. It's not logical. And I think that Flores is actually, he's taking a huge risk here. Because if this doesn't work out, if Tua goes out there, plays a bad game, if he has to bench him after two or three weeks, and the Dolphins' you know, season just goes off kilter, there's enough bad teams in this league right now that the Dolphins won't be in a place to get a good pick or anything like that. So it's not like they're going to get you know great draft capital from doing this. I really don't see this, mate. I really don't. And don't get me wrong. Fitzpatrick didn't have his greatest game last week. Three touchdowns, two interceptions. But like I kind of went into detail last week, last week his pass rating was 154. 154. He was the best quarterback in the league last week. This week he played fine. He led the team to 24-0. Into his very first game, when he starts after the bye week, he's going to have 129 kilos of Aaron Donald chasing him down. If there's one defensive tackle you don't want to have your first start against, it's Aaron Donald. It's Aaron Charles Donald. I, I, just why do this, Jazz? Why do this? It just makes no sense at all. In the words of Brian Flores, it's just time. Let's revisit this in two weeks' time. Yeah. I would love, I'd love if Tua goes out there, looks great, rips off four touchdowns, and we look silly. Yeah. Fitzpatrick would have reverted to form. He would have had a bum game at some point, and then you can justify bringing Tua in. Well, that's and then the thing. If it doesn't work out, like he did it for the Bucks last year. He played a strip of like three games where he was looking at business, where he was going to the press conferences afterwards with like you know the sports jacket on and nothing else and the shades and looking like a seventies porn star and looking like he was the business. And then he played garbage. And he would have done that at some point. And then you can bring Tua in. And then whatever happens with Tua, no one can judge you for making a mistake because, well, Fitzpatrick started playing bad, so I had to bench him. But when Fitzpatrick is leading you to victory after victory, two straight games with a 24-point win margin, and then you go and bench him. This is all on Flores now. This is all on Flores. And he has made a rod for his back here. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing to say before we do move on, despite the 24 to nothing loss, Jets got a massive victory this week because they remain the only winless team in the NFL. So that tanking for Trevor Lawrence train, it's, uh, it's all aboard. You've gone from Donald to Flacco and nothing has changed whatsoever. You've got your veteran backup quarterback who's got two Super Bowl rings, let's not forget. Flacco was never an elite great, but he can manage a game. Bringing Flacco in hasn't made this team any better whatsoever than it was under Donald. Well, yeah, who's Lawrence throwing to? Dust. <laughs> dust. Hey, it's, it's dust in the wind. He's throwing to no one. Who have they got at running back? I mean, LeMichael Perrine, who's Samage Perrine's less good cousin. Wow. And Frank <laughs> Gore, who... I love Frank Gore. He's a legend. He's still underrated. But, I mean... He doesn't do much these days. He's one of the least efficient runners in the league. There's no one at running back. There's no one to throw to. The offensive line, despite all the draft capital they've put into it, still isn't all that. They don't have much in the secondary. There's just so many gaps all around. Any other quarterback who's going first, except for Trevor Lawrence, you might say, hey, maybe trade down. Maybe. Maybe there's a team desperate enough, but they won't trade down. They'll take Trevor Lawrence first. They've ruined Sam Donald's career. And they'll ruin Trevor Lawrence's career. Shouldn't be allowed, but it's going to happen. Uh, now it's my time, Joe. Packers at the Bucks. Do you want to start this one off, Charles? Yeah, go on then. Nothing went right for the Packers. Literally nothing. Uh. 
there was no run game there was no protection I think we have not committed a turnover all season let alone an interception Rogers goes and fires off a whole bunch in this game it was just a disaster we went 10 to nothing up and then failed to score for the whole rest of the game it was so not fun to watch must have been fun to watch if you were Tom Brady yeah but here's what sent me to the other level Gronk has done nothing all season (laughs) all season we finally come up against Brady again not playing for the Patriots and we get torched by Brady and Gronk it was honestly I got the strongest PTSD I've ever had in my life Joe this is you know poetic justice for a lot of Packers fans because when the season started and Brady threw a couple of pick sixes there were all these Packers memes that were coming out oh Brady's thrown more pick sixes in his last two games than Rodgers has in his whole career blah 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 and all of this kind of junk that was coming out there well there was only one quarterback who threw a pick six uh, on Sunday and it definitely wasn't Tom Brady I mean Rodgers looked absolutely spooked and you can blame some of that on losing his tackle left tackle in uh, David Bacteri but I mean so much pressure was coming through the interior of that line as well it wasn't like there was suddenly just a weakness on the left side of the offensive line the offensive line went porous and this has been an offensive line that's been good it fell apart it fell apart Roger's confidence was gone he was making throws well, he was not making throws that Rodgers should always make. There was like a open Mercedes Lewis where if he hit him, he was you know it was, it was probably paid her. Yeah, that could have been a big play because there was no one near him, and, and he overthrew him, and he overthrew him because he was spooked because his feet weren't set because he was scared, and he had every right to be because I tell you what, credit where it's due, the Bucks defense was fierce. There's no secret now, the Bucks D is absolutely elite. Let's go through a few stats here, right? Yards allowed per rushing attempt is free, which is top of the league. The next closest are the Steelers, who are 3.3. Pass yards allowed per attempt, 5.5. Second in the league, the top of the Rams with 5.4. So basically top anyway. Yards per play against them, 4.6. Again, top of the league. Across rush defense, pass defense, everything, they are top of the board the Bucks defense is elite there's one thing that's letting them down one single thing they have the sixth most penalties in the league and in terms of yardage they give up through penalties 428 which is the most of any team they cut those penalties out then this is a good team which is exactly what they did against Green Bay exactly what they did against Green Bay I don't know the actual stat but one two penalties max honestly i was watching it and green bay gave away quite a few penalties the bucks gave away almost nothing and it's exactly to your point once they cut that out they are so dominant defensively they are going to be a really really good team if they can make that consistent how many penalties do you think the bucks gave away on sunday so I was watching it and I know at least by the third quarter they had zero. I'm I'm going to back it and say none. You're right, mate. They gave away zero penalties through the game. They didn't give away a single penalty. And like I said, through six games, they have given away the sixth most penalties in the league and the most yardage. So they were giving away so many in those first five games that they're still top after six. So now they've cut those penalties out. Now they've shown what they can do when they've not given away those penalties. My God, this is a good deal. Until kind of this point, the narrative from most people, myself included, was that in the NFC, it was between the Packers and the Seahawks. Look, I'm on the Tampa Bay Buccaneer bandwagon now. I said I wouldn't be. I said I was staying off it. I'm on a bandwagon. There's so many little things as well. Rojo, 
had a massive game, massive game. 23 carries, 113 yards, two touchdowns. Talking about Gronk, Gronk got a TD. Everything went right for the Buccaneers. Everything's looking good. This is a good side, mate. This is a good team. I agree. I think we're not great at stopping the run. So I would take some of that with a pinch of salt. There are three teams here, Packers, Seahawks and Bucks. Pick one, one of those teams is going to Super Bowl. So let's take it through then to a Rams at 49ers, which really surprised me, to be honest. And not just because of the 49ers winning, but more how they won and how they held up against the Rams, considering what a bunch of pushovers they were against the Dolphins the week before. You know, good coaching straightens out bad teams or good coaching straightens out bad performances. The 49ers have had a lot of injuries, but they're not a bad team. You don't turn into a bad team overnight. They've had some issues. They've adjusted. And hey, they look good. They look like, you know, 2019, 49ers. Well, yeah, but it was just the fact that going into this game, they had several problems, all of which seemed to sort of just magically disappear. I mean, purse protection. San Fran's offensive line has been absolutely dreadful the last couple of weeks. And the interior blocking had been really bad while Trent Williams struggled. And that just almost disappeared against the Rams. You know, Garoppolo wasn't Jimmy sacked. Jimmy G didn't get sacked no, once. didn't get sacked a single time. And that's against Aaron Donald. Yeah, yeah. When you can manage to stop Aaron Donald from doing sacks, well, then you're definitely doing something right. And you're doing something very right indeed. But it's almost as if they'd learnt from Fitzpatrick as well, because Garoppolo got the ball out of his hands very quickly a lot of times during that game. They were quick snaps. He wasn't holding on to the ball for long. And you don't blame him, not against the Rams. No, you're absolutely spot on there, mate. Do you know what? Jimmy G, next-gen stats of all the quarterbacks who played last week, he got the ball out of his hands the second fastest out of every single one of them. Roethlisberger got passes off in 2.1 seconds, Jimmy G in 2.38. The second fastest in the league. He was just getting the ball out of his hands. Yeah, I mean, they'd obviously done their research they game planned this and i think it was the coaching and strategy that pulled off this win for them absolutely yeah, look they had a game plan they executed it and they executed it well a bit of a downer for them that raheem mostert got injured but i mean up to that point raheem mostert wasn't being that efficient 17 carries averaging 3.8 yards a carry and not much special there at all the receivers stepped up, really. There were lots of receptions made. Kittle had seven for 109 yards. Debo Samuel, six for 66. And Debo Samuel, you know, tried to get him involved in a run game as well, but that didn't really work. But look, good performance from the 49ers. Do you think this changes this change of their season? They sit three and three now. Rams at four and two. I still think both of these teams, with the Cardinals as well, are playing for a wild card spot because the Seahawks are going to win. Do you see that differently now? Do you think the San Francisco 49ers will challenge the Seahawks for the NFC West? No, no, I don't think they do. I think out of those three, I'd probably give it to the Cardinals in terms of the wild card. Really? Yeah, I still think the 49ers don't have enough to be consistent against all opposition week in, week out. And my issue with the Rams is something that I witnessed while I was watching the game this week. Goff cannot perform without a clean pocket. If there is any pressure, Goff crumbles like sugar in rain. And, you know, we've been saying week in, week out, Rams, low-scoring team, they had an absolute day against Washington, shock horror. But apart from that, they're not putting up the points. And, you know, watching this game, I just couldn't believe how much Goff struggled under pressure. Yeah, I think they're a less exaggerated version of Chicago Bears, really. They lean on that D quite a lot. 
and the offence, it ticks along. And at best this season, aside from playing Washington football team, aside from that, it's ticked along at a very average pedestrian rate. They haven't scored big. The kind of connections that Goff had in previous years, like with Cooper Cup, there's just something there that's just not really working. There was no receiver who made over four receptions. Woods had the most of four, and then there were a few with three. There's no one who he can really lean on. He doesn't seem to have someone who he really trusts to be his man, like Cup has been in previous years. I agree with you. He needs such a clean pocket. He's looking like a slightly better version of Kirk Cousins. Is he? I think they look quite similar. (laughs) (laughs) He's not thrown as many interceptions and playing just as, as bismally poorly, but... He makes passes when everything has gone his way, when he's got a clean pocket, yeah. when his receiver has got separation. It's those kind of throws. And then aside from that, he's looking a little bit lost. I think that the Rams, despite being 4-2 and, and second in the NFC West, will finish bottom of that division. Because I think there's only so far that Aaron Donald and the rest of the defense can carry them. San Fran have gone through a blip. They've gone through their blip now. I think they do come out of this better I still think San Fran for second place. I think San Fran will probably go on a bit of a run soon. They have got a very hard set of games coming up in front of them. Make no lie about that. There's a hard running for them. But I think they've turned that corner. And let's see how they do. Okay. Right. That takes us on to the last two games then, Joe. We've got the Chiefs at the Bills. One thing I get really frustrated about watching the Chiefs is any time Edwards Hilaire carries the ball for more than four yards... The commentators just want to jump all over him and, oh, he's going to be rookie of the year. Oh, you know, such an electric running back, blah, blah, blah. One of the big news stories from last week, as we all know, was Le'Veon Bell signing with the Chiefs. If CEH was as good as everyone's trying to talk him up to be and trying to make him out to be, they wouldn't have needed to sign Bell. They wouldn't have even looked at Bell. CEH is a good player. He's lightning. If there's a gap, he'll find it. But he still only has one touchdown. He still had seven attempts from less than five yards and hasn't scored a touchdown from any of them. He's not a free down back. He's not the answer to all the Chiefs' woes. And one thing I spotted in this game against the Bills and one thing to look out for, look at how many times he has to run with blocking. Now, other running backs in the Chiefs, like Williams, like Thompson, they often don't have another back blocking for them. CEH had a lot of help from Travis Kelsey, who was lining up at fullback in a lot of snaps. So aside from, you know, these flaws, which I think there are in his game, he's taking players like Kelsey away from being a threat and just making it that little bit easier to defend against. He's a fine player. He's doing some things very well. But genuinely, it's probably one of my biggest bugbears of this season so far. It's just the amount of smoke that's getting blown his way. It's just excessive. All this talk about him being rookie of the year, nonsense. I can name you three rookies who should be Offensive Rookie of the Year in front of him. Free at least. He just looks good when he does good things. But he doesn't always do good things. And he does bad things as well. So, ran over. I've already had an Instagram rant about CH. <laughs> Look, I think... Uh... I think your your opinions are very coloured by the uh, response of the masses. I, I take your point. I think what we have seen so far is that he is not a three down back. He just isn't that guy. He's nowhere near a three down back. No, but what he does do, I think he is very good at. I mean, he rushed for 161 yards on 26 carries. He's a proficient runner. Not in every game though, mate. He's played in six games now, and in two of them, he had a good game. And in four of them, he was less than pedestrian. 
I'm just so tired of every Chiefs game. Every time he touches the ball and runs for six yards. Oh, wow, the rookie, the rookie out of LSU. Oh, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. And they always say the H as well, which you're not supposed to pronounce. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm just so sick of hearing it, man. I'm just so sick of hearing it. And like, if there wasn't all this smoke getting blown like his way and stuff, I'd probably like him. I'd seen for what he is, Rich Man's Tariq Cohen. And I'm standing by that. Score more touchdowns, score from, you know, five yards out, and then we'll call you something else. The Chiefs would be better off if they still had Kareem Hunt. Hot take. Okay, very hot take, yeah. Cool. Anything else to add about that game? Just one player I want to draw people's attention to. 1.33 on the clock. The Bills were chasing the game. Look, the Bills probably were not going to win. They were nine points behind at this stage. So you need two scores in a minute 33. You need to score and then get the onside conversion because they had no timeouts either. So look, the Bills were beaten. But at this point, you're only nine points behind. You've still got to at least look like you're trying. For some reason, when every other player rushed back to the line, Dick started strolling. He stopped jogging and started walking. Remember, when he got to the line... He didn't set himself properly, didn't set for a second, so the Bills were pinged for an illegal shift. Now, had Diggs shown a bit more of a better attitude, the Bills would have, in fact, got a pass interference penalty that would have taken him another 30 yards down the field. And then suddenly, you're in range where Josh Allen can easily bomb it into the end zone with 1 minute 33 left, so don't get me wrong, still hard, but you should be showing better attitude than that. It was just something that I felt was a little bit... I've seen it with the Vikings before. And, you know, Dix has been going on about how he's loving his new team and he's so happy and you know, he likes being wide receiver one and all these kind of things. But even when you're beaten and you're probably going to lose with a minute 30 on the clock, if everyone else is running back to the line, you should be running back to the line. If the offensive linemen can get themselves set and ready, then you should be set and ready. So just wanted to bring that to people's attention. Right, let's go into our final game then. Cardinals against the Cowboys. Let's win this one for Dak. Didn't quite turn out that way, did it? Didn't quite turn out that way. And and look, Kenyon Drake, Kenyon dig it, sucker. I mean, absolute performance. Have a day. There's been a lot of chat with Kenyon Drake. But, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's pump the brakes here, Joe. Had a day against the only team in the league that categorically has zero run defense. Come on. Whoa, whoa, Come uh, on. Uh, 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 Come uh, on. Texans? Texans? Uh, Texans have a better run D than Dallas. Uh, no, no, no. Texans are abysmal against a run, mate. Dallas have zero run defense. The Texans at least defend the run against the Jags. Dallas have stopped nobody running the ball. Not one, one team. Yards allowed per attempt of rushing. Cowboys 5.1. Bengals 5.1. Texans 5.4. Texans are the worst run defense, man. Okay, fine. Statistically, <laughs> by point something of a yard. But let's be real. Don't start jumping on Kenyon Drake now because he had one game against the worst or second worst run defense in the league. You just need something to spark it off. <laughs> uh, you just need something to spark it off. And But, but look, that, that's, that's taking it 69 yards to the house. Nice. I would say this again. We said this last week, right? Second season has started. Dan Quinn got sacked. Why has Mike Nolan, as the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys, still got a job? Answer me that. Why? I don't have an answer for you. He has to go. There is talent there, and you could argue that maybe some of the talent they picked up, they got tricked on. They picked up players who they thought were going to play better than they are, players who were on the slide, players who were the wrong side of 30. 
there's some of that to maybe be said and you can put that on all of the front office. But ultimately, that defense is an absolute dumpster fire. The only winner right now, I think, is Dak Prescott because it's showing how many cracks he was papering in the first four and a half games. Yeah, I agree, you know. He was always up against it because his defense was just putting him in a hole. I stand by what we both said, really. He's not a top five quarterback. There's five quarterbacks who are in this league who are better than Dak. And I'm sorry everyone's been nice to him because he got hurt. And, and I think it's terrible that he got hurt. I think it's terrible. And, you know, you, you just want to see him get better. But he's not a top five quarterback. He shouldn't be getting paid top five money. But I think the longer this team plays like this, getting into a hole, getting spanked 38-10 by the Cardinals, the more you might as well just say, look, just get rid of this defense. You know, cut everyone who's got a contract who's not, you know, guaranteed money, pay Dak and just pay him. And just get that piece locked in and then rebuild your D with draft picks. I think that's what you've got to do. Van Der Esch is a great player. He's injured. He's maybe the other winner here because the Cowboys have looked pretty good when he's been on the field. And the last time he was really on the field was in 2019. So keep Van Der Esch maybe. But for how stacked that D-line looked, it's just atrocious. Not many of those players will be playing in Dallas next year. Everson Griffin, I think he's got to go. Dontari Poe, what's he doing there? You're supposed to be stopping a run, mate. So give me a team then. NFC East, who's winning that division? Is it going to be the Eagles? Oh, Jesus Christ, mate. So what? So uh, through six game weeks, the NFC East has a total of five wins. And three of those <laughs> wins, three of those wins were interdivisional. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so NFC East teams in six weeks have only beaten two sides outside the NFC East. Uh, that's shocking. That is absolutely diabolical. That's that's tragic. Let's not think about it for too long. Let us let let's go for our picks. Yeah, so look, I know we we're gonna go through this quickly, but I just want to give a bit of background on this first game for through a conversation that we had a few days ago. We're through to week six now. Now I'm staying up Thursday nights, I'm staying up Sunday nights, and I'm staying up Monday nights until about half four, five o'clock. I'm getting quite tired. And now that Sky is showing college games on Saturday nights, I'm probably staying up on Saturday nights most of the time now as well. So look, so four nights a week, I'm staying up till half four. I turned around and said to you, look, Jazz, if it's one game I'm, I'm going to miss to try and catch one a bit of sleep, it's this one. And I don't care about the rivalry. I don't care about the history between these two teams. They're just two garbage teams that I don't really care to watch. I see the Eagles winning this one, Charles. I see the Eagles winning by seven points. But I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. And yeah, that's my view. What's yours? Yeah, I've got Eagles by two scores, by 14. And only because I just think the Giants just got so lucky this week against the Washington football team they were gifted the game I don't think the Eagles are going to be as ill-disciplined so I think they'll win it by a couple of touchdowns okay Lions against Falcons oh tough one because again Falcons were made to look great this yeah, game week by a bad Vikings team yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Lions aren't a great team by any means whatsoever so they were made to look great as well yeah exactly I still think I'll probably go the Falcons just because if Matt Ryan can connect as well with his offense like he did against the Vikings I think the Lions fall down so I've got the Falcons by a score yeah I'm going Falcons as well I'm gonna go Falcons by three but what I am gonna say is Bet the over on this one. I see there being a lot of points in this game. Yeah, should be, shouldn't there? They're both quarterbacks that like to chuck it about, and there's certainly sketchy defences there. Yeah. Browns against the Bengals. Second time these teams have played this season. Weird one, you know, because Bengals did all right against the Colts. They're starting to find a little bit of rhythm. Browns had a shocking display. 
I'm still going to go the Browns, but honestly, I think a field goal. It's knocked some of the shine off for me. Okay, well, the Browns won it by, I think, what, six points last time? I'm going to go for a swing. I'm going to say Bengals by six. Nice, okay. Bold. I like it. Moving on then to the Packers versus the Texans. Bounce back game for the Packers. Redemption, baby. That's what I'm counting on. Redemption. Going to be honest, they've got to put things right. They will put things right because they're not a bad team. Look, the Texans will be competitive. I think that Watson will do everything he possibly can to drag them kicking and streaming as far as he can, but it won't be enough. It, Packers will win this one by 10. I got Packers by 17. Uh, only By because 17? I, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Mr. Uh, Confident. Well, it's only because Aaron Jones. I just think, you know, we've pointed out That's they can't true. defend yeah. the run. So I just think he'll just run it through him. So yeah, I've got seven. Jamal Williams was getting a lot of the ball. He was uh, all against right, Bucks, wasn't he? Yeah, and actually he was fighting his way through. He's quite scrappy. Yeah, so no, I take your point that they are atrocious against the run, and any running back who plays against them should have a good day. But yeah, look, so we're both on board there. Packers to win. Panthers against the Saints. Yeah, I mean, I can't see past the Saints on this. I think Panthers are an average team sometimes. They have their ups, but um, not against a team like the Saints. I've got them to win by 14. Bit of interest, though, that Teddy Bridgewater kind of knows all about the Saints, having been back up there for a year. That is true. He should know the Saints inside out. Saints are only 3-2. and two. Panthers are 3-3. Three and three. If you asked me at the start of the season, I would have said Saints by a lot. But I just, I just don't feel that confident on the Saints anymore. I'm kind of sliding on them a little bit. Saints by 7, but an unconfident Saints by 7. Okay. Then we're going into Bills and Jets. Wow. Bills by 20. Yeah, okay. I thought Bills by 17, so we're we're about the same. Let's not waste our time talking about the Jets again. Nope. <laughs> Cowboys at Washington. Oh, we're going to get another NFC East win here. So <laughs> <laughs> chalk it up. I think, oh, uh, do I? Yeah, I think Washington by three. Yeah, my head's saying that. Like, I still, I still keep on thinking that. Oh, yeah, the Cowboys going to click this week, and it's suddenly going to look all right, and the Cowboys going to be good again, and Zeke's not going to fumble it all the time, and someone's going to get a sack. But it never happens, Charles. Never happens. <laughs> never happens. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with it once more, right? I'm going to have this gambler's fallacy that it's got to happen at some point. So I'm going to go with Cowboys once more, probably because it's Washington as well, and I still think they're Washington the garbage. I'm going to go Cowboys by seven. But again, it's it's not with very much conviction. No, I think these are two very poor teams. Yeah, Steelers-Titans. Oh, man, that I think is a very tough call. I'm probably going to back the Steelers, though. I think they really, really showed up against the Browns. I think Titans will be a tougher competition. But I've got the Steelers by a score. By seven. At the moment, on Pick'em, this is exactly 50-50, where most of the other games are you know blowouts by 90% plus. People are picking this game exactly 50-50, but I see this the same as you, Charles. I see this as a Steelers winner. And you know what? I don't really even see this one being too close. I think the Steelers are a much better team than the Titans. I like the Titans. The Titans deserve to be where they are. They're playing some good football, but their defence is just giving up too many points. And I think that the Steelers can score, and I think the Steelers can stop you from scoring. So I'm going Steelers by 14. Right, then we're on to the later window then. Seahawks at Cardinals. I like the Cardinals. I think... They remind me of Scrappy Doo. Do you know what I mean? Scrappy Doo. They're chippy. They can yeah. they can put up wins, but they're not um, consistent. I've got the Seahawks, but but not by a lot. I think Seahawks by ten. 
just because of how the Seahawks played against the Vikings, have had a bye week, and sometimes you can come off that bye week a little bit sluggish. The Cardinals had a good win last week. They're coming out with confidence. I'm going Cardinals by three, and this is going to be the Seahawks blip of the first half of, of the season. Okay, nice. Then we've got Chiefs at Broncos. I mean, come on. Chiefs, Chiefs by 21. Yeah, okay, nice. Yeah, I've got uh, Chiefs by 20, so yeah. 49ers against the Patriots. Well, is this the week, Joe? Is this the run that starts the 49ers for you? Yeah, I think it is, mate. Ah, interesting. I don't think either of these teams is really set up for like blowout wins. So I don't think no. the, the 49ers are, are, you know, winning this bigly. But 49ers by 10. Okay, I got Patriots by 7. Jaguars against the Chargers. Yeah, so we didn't get to see the Chargers play this week. They were on a bye, but we certainly saw the Jaguars attempt to play. I've got the Chargers by 14. I don't have them by that many. I've got the Chargers by 3. Oh, that's quite close then. Yeah, you know, they've still got a rookie quarterback in there. Minshew's still trying his best. Again, Chargers coming off a bye week. I just don't think it's all going their way. So yeah, Chargers by three. Okay. Then this is a game which I'm really excited to watch this week. Yeah, yeah Bucks at Raiders. I think that's going to be a hell of a matchup. I'm not staying up Thursday night, but I'm definitely staying up Sunday night for this one, man. For sure. I said it earlier. I think this is another one to bet the over on. Do you? It depends on the Bucks' defense though, right? They could put the clamps on. I think they will put a clams on, right? And I think this is where the Bucks will win. But I think that the Raiders will be chasing that game and the Raiders, Raiders are good enough that you can't shut them down, right? The Buccaneers will get turnovers. The Buccaneers will get sacks. The Buccaneers' D will come out good first half. But the Buccaneers will still score. And so they'll work up a lead and it will allow the Raiders to get, you know, a couple of touchdowns. You know, one might be a garbage time one. There will be points in this. This will be over 55 I'm going Bucks because we've talked with the Bucks up so much, but Raiders to give them a good game. Bucks by seven. Okay, yeah, I really struggled with this one. Didn't know where to place it. I flipped and flopped a bunch of times, but in the end, I settled on Bucks by three. I think it's going to be a close game, and it could go either way. And then finally, the last game, the Monday night one. Assuming we get no more COVID movement, Bears at the Rams. Oh, I think this is going to be horrendous. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be dreadful. Battle of defences, isn't it? It really, really is. I mean, everything says keep back in the Bears. And I think that the Bears have a good D and Goff can't perform against pressure. Saying that, Foles facing up against Aaron Donald might be something that he just doesn't know how to compete with either. I think Rams by, like, honestly, a point. You know what, mate? I'm aligned with you on a lot of these this week. I think basically the same. I was going to say Rams by three. So we're same kind of ballpark there, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And for the same reasons. But don't get me wrong. I don't think that Foles is going to get phased by it. I don't think Foles is going to look like a rookie or look like a rabbit in the headlights here. But I think if you go for the Battle of the D's here, Rams, there's no fans there, but Rams in their home stadium. I, I just got no faith with the Bears at all. So I'm just going Rams. Cool. So there are predictions. We're aligned on quite a few of these this week, Joe, which probably means we're going to be upset we're with a lot of these. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it, it often does mean that. But anyway, look, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can visit the website www.playsheetpodcast.com and give us your vote for which teams you think will win. We'd love to see what you think. Uh, and until then, look forward to speaking to you next week, Charles. Yeah, we'll see you next week.